really one that focuses on prevention and staying healthy and what can they do and can't they do in times like this. For the athlete and the coach, from the dabbler to the committed, for the curious to the confused, we got answers and insights to fuel wellness and performance from the experts, innovators, and biohackers we feature on the feed. It's all that thinking outside the box to get the best nutrition in it. Today, which I would describe as the dawn of our new reality, where the U.S. has joined much of Asia and Central Europe in some manner of lockdown to hopefully ride out and flatten the curve of the infection rate of the coronavirus, sports events are being canceled or postponed globally. The fate of some of the summer's biggest events are unknown, such as the Tour de France, the Olympics, soccer, PGA, baseball, you name it. All of which means athletes from Olympians to weekend warriors are asking, what do I do now? Do we have to choose wellness over fitness? Are they two in the same? Or do we need to land somewhere in between? And to help answer that question, we have with us today Dr. Kevin Sprouse, who founded and is the sole proprietor of Podium Sports Medicine. He works with elite and professional athletes across numerous sports and disciplines such as cycling, triathlon, track and field, as well as PGA and NFL athletes. They come to him for his unique training in exercise science, emergency medicine, sports medicine. So Dr. Sprouse, I appreciate the time. I know that uh, as we talked before, your phone has been ringing off the hook because your clients all want to know what they should be doing. And I'm wondering what the uh, what it is that their primary concern is their number one question at this point. Yeah, so I've been getting lots of calls for sure. And the the biggest question that I get is really really one that focuses on prevention and staying healthy and what can they do and can't they do in times like this. Fortunately, I don't uh, yet have any patients who have contracted the virus. Um, so we're not really to the point of dealing with treatment. It's much more prevention. And, and then how to carry on about a normal life while you know, being an athlete, but being socially responsible. And it's kind of a difficult dance to do. And, and let's get into that shortly, but I want to headline it with something that you had mentioned to me the other day. Uh, all the news out there, uh, for someone like me, I'm reading like, if you're young and you're healthy, this isn't a big deal. However, you mentioned to me something about this is not a good thing, particularly for endurance athletes to get coronavirus, you know, the specter of injury to your lungs is real. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, for, for the vast majority of young, otherwise healthy people who do end up uh, with coronavirus, um, they're not going to have a major illness and they're not going to have uh, much with regard to consequences afterwards. At least that's what you know, the, the numbers seem to play out. But there are a small number of young, otherwise healthy individuals who do have severe cases and can have a hard time with the, with the disease while they have it, but then also suffer from some lung injury in the long term that we don't really know whether that will be transient, whether it will be long term. Um, so it's, a, it's an unknown, but a very, or an unquantifiable, but a very real risk for everyone, and especially athletes and endurance athletes who kind of rely on their lungs for a living. Not that they're less important for anyone else, right. but 
it's, it's a consideration to make um, as you weigh out the risks and benefits, which is what we're all doing, is trying to figure out what is the appropriate risk-benefit ratio with the steps that we take in the next few weeks or months. And and on that note, what are you telling uh, – and I know it's different because you, you work with PG athletes, which is a very different demand than your Tour de France athletes. You're one of the doctors or the – doctor for EF Education First, which is a major team on the Tour de France. For the endurance athletes right now, what are you recommending, particularly given that they're stuck in their home? Many of them. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of them, especially in, I mean, across the world, but, but Europe in particular is, you know, Italy, Spain, France, uh, very much on lockdown. So I think first and foremost, it is stay active and continue to train to some degree. Um, there's nothing to train for at the moment, you know, whether you're uh, a cyclist, a triathlete, a marathoner, um, there's nothing on the immediate horizon and there will be, but we don't know what that is or when that will be. So there's no reason to stress over your training load or push the same load you normally would. Um, you know, it's really more at this point, maintaining some level of fitness, um, maintaining some level of sanity and using <laughs> exercise uh, in an appropriate way. And it gives people a sense of purpose. Like we all want to still be doing our jobs. Um, we still want to do what we do on a day-to-day -day basis and not just sit down and turn on Netflix. Um, so I think the the advice that, that I've been giving to those folks really focuses more on, you know, maybe keeping it at 75, 80% of what they normally do. Um, if and are you talking about this is, this is what I'm writing. There you go. That, I mean, then you you're paid to stay in motion is the kind right. of motion relevant. In other words, you know, is it hey, is this the time to do volume at a low intensity? Uh, should you stay away from high intensity workouts? Does anything along the spectrum of, of training regimen expose you to the risk of coronavirus more than another way of training? Potentially. Um, so we do know that uh, more strenuous exercise, typically the studies look at anything over 75% 75 of your VO2 max um, and more prolonged exercise, typically longer than 90 minutes and about, will start to decrease your um, the functioning of your immune system. And that's in a, in a temporary way. Uh, and it's dose dependent. So the more you do or the harder you go, the more depression of that immune system you'll have and the longer it'll last. So with keeping that in mind, definitely recommending that loads be kind of lower than they typically would be. Um, again, this is for the pros, people getting, you know, earning a paycheck and who will need to fire back up pretty quickly to maintain their, you know, their income once their sport kicks back on. Mm -hmm. So for them, you know, probably still doing a, a higher load than the rest of us, but their body's pretty accustomed to that. Um, but still dropping their typical load a bit, dropping their uh, intensity a bit, all with the idea that there's no reason at this point in time to be training super hard. Um, and there's no reason to put yourself at an immune disadvantage during a pandemic. Um, so it's it's a lot of balance going on. That's going to look different for different people. Again, if you're not a professional athlete, that may look considerably different. Um, 
and it may even depend on what resources you have available within your quarantine. But I think first and foremost is to, to stay active and stay sane. And then recognize that this is not the time to necessarily push the envelope to a huge degree. Um, there's no benefit and there's definitely potential downside. Right. So maybe we can go through a list of potential risk environments that people are going to going to want to go in the gym. They're going to want to go on, you know, a ride, maybe a group ride. Um, I know that's uh, not possible in Italy and Spain. You're not allowed to. Is it, is it true that you've had athletes try to go outside living in Italy and Spain and they are, they are simply sent back in their home? Um, I've not had that in particular. I know it's happened, uh, but we've been very much on the pulse of what's allowed. And so some of that discussion came up and, and we learned pretty quickly through um, not through running afoul of the law, but by you know research and finding out exactly what was allowed that they just can't do that. So it's considered, even if you're a professional, it's a non-essential activity being outside mm -hmm. on a bike or running. Um, and it just, you know, it won't be tolerated in those societies at, at the moment. And right. I don't know, you know, chances of jailing and things like that are probably low, but you're going to be turned around, I think, pretty quickly. Right. I guess the last thing you'd want is overcrowding in the jails with people that have corona. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> the, uh, but let's maybe go down the list of, you, you know, gyms are now becoming these vacant areas. Is it just absolute at this point? Don't go to a gym. You know, it's it's. Difficult. So you look at this from a couple couple sides because I have I have friends that own gyms and training facilities and things like that. Um, similar to what we're seeing in the restaurant business, like it, it's painful to say, you know, just avoid these places, shut down. Um, but I think the answer, yeah, really needs to be a, a gym is not the place to be at the moment with with a virus that spreads widely through contact and droplets. It's just, it's possible. Like if you wanted to just have the thought experiment of what would you do to go in a gym and be totally safe? Like if you went into a small gym that had almost no other people, you know, one or two other people in the whole thing and you washed your hands after every machine. Yeah. Okay. But that's not realistic. And so what realistically happens is there's lots of people in these places. They're touching everything. They're sweaty. They're breathing hard. They're, coughing, you know, it's gyms to me are, are a high risk place to be right now and just not mm -hmm. worth that risk. Group rides. I mean, you can do and, a lot of and, this stuff. And, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, you can do a lot of the, the stuff you need to do at home with this idea, like we were just talking about of maintaining during this time and not necessarily pushing for gains. Um, you know, you can do body weight activities. You can do you know, push-ups, pull-ups, use a, a resistance band. There's all kinds of stuff you can do to, to kind of maintain or even work on mobility and other things that you might neglect otherwise. Um, and I think that same idea spills into group rides, which you were just about to talk about. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I I don't think that it makes a lot of sense to go out on a, a ride with a lot of people at this moment. Um, you know, it's it's allergy season. Um, where I live in Tennessee, allergies are always a, a big deal. So you go out on rides and, you know, people are, are 
coughing and sneezing and um, blowing their nose and all kinds of stuff while you ride, just typically in the in the best of times. And so if you've got that going with, you know, 10, 15, 20 people on a group ride, the the potential for uh, viral spread there is is large. But I think you can do smaller rides, you know, two, three, four people and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of keep your distance, be very aware of hygiene. Um, I mean, not to, no need to dance around the topic. We've, we've all, you know, seen people just doing snot rockets or, or coughing loogies off a mm-hmm. bike. Like that, that just happens when you're out there. Right. Um, and I think I mean, what, what about if the guy in front of you and, and do you want to, do you want to be riding abreast, but it, if they're just breathing, is that enough? Um, I think honestly, which they we would be. Um, mm. Yeah, they, they would be breathing. Um, <laughs> otherwise, it's going to be a very short group ride. <laughs> right. it, you know, I, I think there's probably some risk there. Again, I, I feel like we want to try to approach this, this risk in a binary fashion. Like, is this risky? Is it not? Like, could I catch it? Could I not? Um, with any given scenario. And unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. There's nothing binary about this. It's where on mm-hmm. the spectrum is the danger. And so, uh, you know, I think you could probably, you know, ride to a breast and keep a couple feet between you. And, you know, when you've got to spit or do whatever, you know, you, you drop way back and you do that and you come back. Like, there's a way to do it in a way that is... Uh, that lowers the risk as much as possible, but the risk is not zero. Um, mm-hmm. That risk starts to go up the more people you throw in that mix. So right. you know, two people is probably much easier to control than four or eight or 10. Um, sure. And then there's the other side of the coin, the safety part. So you know, if you just go out training by yourself, you're potentially more vulnerable. You know, should you have a crash? Should you have multiple flats? Um, you know, to some degree, there's there's some safety in numbers. So it's not you know, building up that risk uh, profile is not as simple as just saying, well, just go do it by yourself. So to me, it seems pretty reasonable to go out in pairs. Um, you, you can avoid each other to the degree that you need to, but also support each other when needed. Um, yeah, but but I, I definitely think it's the time to avoid large group rides. What about swimming? Is is a swimming pool a petri dish? And I guess you have saline pools and you have chlorinated pools. Uh, is one better than the other, or should you just stay out of the water? Um, it's a good question. I don't think we know the answer entirely. So, chlorinated pools um, are basically the the chlorine acts similar like to like a bleach, right? And typically, chlorine is uh, it will inactivate or quote unquote kill a virus viruses aren't actually alive so you can't kill them but it'll be you know Hmm. it'll render the virus uh not infective okay so chlorine can do that to what uh to what concentration the the facility keeps their chlorine may play a role um and that can tend to be pretty variable um the salt water pools are really Chlorine too. Salt is sodium chloride, and so when it breaks down, you've got the, the chloride ion that um, 
I won't bore you with all the, the chemistry, but basically you end up. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm learning things here. First of all, I didn't know that, you know, I thought the viruses, because it says on my Lysol, it kills the virus. So I assumed they were alive. So, and I did not know that about the uh, sodium chloride's eff efficacy in terms of being much like chlorine. So I'm learning, carry on. See, there you go. Um, <laughs> however, <laughs> so I, I think the likelihood that it lives like in the water, probably low. Um, there is some question of whether there is fecal oral transmission. So um, it's looking like there probably is some degree of, of fecal oral transmission, which tends to be uh, the thing. I mean, you'll hear about like E. coli and things like that that are spread through pools. Um, now, those are bacteria. I'm not trying to equate the two, but the point being there may be a bit of a different chemistry involved with uh, a virus when it's attached to something like a fecal particle or even a snot particle or something, as opposed to just being free floating in the water. So mm -hmm. it's not, a, it's not an easy equation to say, Oh, pools are fine. But honestly, the, the chlorine in the pool probably is fairly protective, but everything around going to the pool is not. <laughs> so if you have, if you have your own pool, you're probably fine. Um, if you're relying on a public pool and, or a gym pool or something like that, then you're reliant on the person who's managing the chemicals. You're probably going in and out of a locker room. You're likely to be touching all kinds of surfaces along the way, whether that's the, the lane ropes or the walls on either end or the ladders to get in and out. Like there's, there's a lot more at play than just the water. So mm -hmm. I think the, the discussion of whether the water is safe is probably a, a moot point uh, in that the whole environment and experience of going swimming is probably fairly high risk right now. I mean, one of the scariest uh -huh. things, I, I don't even want to say scary, but like one of the things we deal with with this, with this particular coronavirus is that one, there's a long period of time before you're contagious where I'm sorry, before you're symptomatic where you can be contagious. And two, young, healthy people can have very minimal symptoms or even be asymptomatic while they while they're, have the illness. And so that describes a lot of the people that are going to gyms, going to pools, doing group rides. Um, and that can be a way that even though it seems like everybody's perfectly healthy and and you know, these are people that are, are fine to be with today. From a public health standpoint, that can be a real problem in spread. If, if one person infects three, four, or five other people, um, mm -hmm. then that quickly spreads. And this is the way it happens. So, you know, it's in those asymptomatic or, or minimally symptomatic folks. So when I look at things like swimming pools, I think one, there's lots of surfaces to touch. And two, there's people who think they don't, they aren't sick. And it just seems like a bad idea. Yeah. And, 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 and not to sort of introduce Russian roulette with this thing, but I did read, and I don't know, uh, I'd like you to chime in on it, that there is some data to suggest that asymptomatic carriers are not as contagious as I, maybe as they are with flu, with with typical influenza. Uh, I don't know if you know anything of that nature. I've actually not seen the data on that. Um, it seems like a reasonable, uh, a reasonable thing that might present from the data. 
um, especially we've all uh, we've seen like in the NBA when a, you know it's shown up now in a couple teams, but it's not like it runs rampant through the whole team. And surely they were you know in quite close contact during practice and games. Um, right. So it's certainly not a given that you catch it. Right. With with any virus or or illness, there's some percentage of people who come in contact with it that, that then become infected and some that don't. And so we're not looking at 100 percent here, but I kind of approach this whole thing as in six months when I look back at this, I would rather say, oh, man, well, I was a little overly conservative there as opposed to the alternative downside of looking and saying, I just wish I'd taken it a little more seriously. Right. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think the downside of being slightly, slightly more conservative is really that great. Um, when we're talking about things like this, I mean, we're not talking about uh, the economy collapsing, all those things. We're talking about, did you get your swim in today or did you choose to go for a solo run instead? Right. Fair, fair, <clears throat> fair enough. Uh, the, I, I want to get into, uh, and I know this is, this is how athletes think. And that goes from professional athletes to maybe even the weekend warriors. Cause I know you work with, with all types. What are the opportunities now? And, and this was one thing, you know, as I've sort of gained some understanding of the history of professional cycling, particularly with relate, how it relates to grand tours is that, the history of cycling was always that you had to race uh, a certain volume in order to be ready to race at a Grand Tour. So you would race to train rather than train to race. And I know there's some teams, uh, Team Sky, now Team Ineos, that have, you know, they have enough money to, they, they don't have to show up everywhere. And they've taken a slightly different approach. What are the opportunities for endurance athletes, maybe other athletes, that they now don't have a race schedule to build up to, you know, for a lo for conceivably a long time, a month, let's say, minimum. Yeah, um, I I think honestly we don't know. We this is unprecedented in 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 sport, at least to this degree. And so, for endurance athletes, I think what we want to do is really you know, maintain, uh, like I said earlier, you know, maybe 80% of that, that fitness level. Um, and just hope that when it comes time to turn it back on, that we can ramp up as we would typically with training and, and racing being a part of that. Um, but I don't think there's any, you know, hard and fast rules to follow any, any known training plans that, you know, oh, this, this is what works best in time of, pandemic or or extended uh time off the bike for for across the board you know for for whole teams but i do think you know to the degree that we we can maintain some amount of volume call it 80 percent, and some amount of intensity which probably is less um it's the thing that's going to come back more quickly so you know say you maintain 50 or 60 percent in terms of the uh, intensity that you're including in your training, but 80% of the volume, kind of like you would in an off season, maybe a typical off season, mm -hmm. then um, we'll try to ramp it back up uh, as, as races get back on the calendar and, and you know, with reasonable certainty, 
we'll we'll be able to know that the guys can come in you know with uh, with some fitness. But that's not across sports. So, like you mentioned, I work with some uh, PGA golfers as well, and so we're actually looking at it a bit differently with them and taking this forced time off to work on some of the the fitness that they don't get to really train as much through the year. So, you know, even for these guys, they have an off season that's maybe four weeks, six weeks long in the winter. And now they've got eight plus weeks off. So we can really work on improving fitness, uh, improving strength, improving mobility. Um, and it actually looks a bit different for them. And the, the training won't necessarily be the type that is, uh, immune depressing. Um, and so we can, we can, we can take the individual sport and individual athlete and use this time appropriately for them based on what's coming up. The, um, now with regard to supplements, I don't want to jump too far ahead if, if we haven't kind of touched on all some of these scenarios, because again, you we're all stuck here. We're all looking for, you know, I, what's the upside? What can I do now with all this extra time and a delayed uh, competition schedule? Um, are we missing any kind of low-hanging fruit in here that uh, that you've been discussing? And I think about, you know, you've got Olympians. The Olympics have not been canceled. The Tour de France has not been canceled. Um, you know, is there any of those athletes or have you talked with them to say, Hey, you know what, because we don't have this big buildup, here's what we can do that we haven't been able to do in the past. Missing anything yet? Um, just from a supplement standpoint, you mean? No, I mean, I, I just wanted to make sure we covered all of that before we jump into the supplements, because, you know, that, that oh, is a whole other, okay. you know, kettle of fish there. Is it what can, what, what should we do, what shouldn't we? But, you know, I just want to make sure we're not missing any any sort of obvious opportunities that our yes. now free time has allowed us, albeit indoors. Yeah. No, I, I think really it's a chance to step back and evaluate the the basics, the foundational basics. So, you know, what do you do? day to day to recover? How does your diet look? Um, you know, you've got time to cook. You've got time to uh, really pay attention to some of these things because so much has been removed from day to day. Um, how do you sleep? You know, let, let's start addressing um, just some of these basics. So it's, it's something that across the board, the athletes that I work with have really started to um, I think take to heart in the last week or two because it's also something that's controllable even when you're left in your own house, right? Like it's there are some things that are just out of our control and you can sit and worry about those all day. But if you distill it to the things that that are um, foundational and controllable, then there's a lot of work to be done there. We can all work on our sleep. We can all work on our diets. We can all work on um, you know, the various aspects that set us up to succeed. So a lot of those conversations have really focused on those things. And and I guess now since you brought up diet, um, before we jump into supplements, a lot of conversations right now around the keto diet. Um, and there are uh, 
David Sinclair, I saw on his Twitter feed on, on March 14th, it was, hey, there may be something to, you know, the reasons that uh, diabetics and adults with underlying or older people with underlying disease are more susceptible to this disease. And it was based on, again, it gets into the sort of science that is in many ways above my head, but it was high glucose levels uh, because that's what happens in the elderly and certainly diabetics that keto might actually be a good defense. And yet I think you told me also earlier that maybe it's not something that athletes, uh, should be dabbling in. Can you parse those two scenarios as to whether keto makes sense for various individuals? Sure. Um, I mean, one, there's a lot of, in those statements, there's a, a lot of uh, supposition and kind of trying to figure out what might work and understanding. And I think that's probably the, the, air in which he meant all that. It's not, you know, we're doing a lot of collaborative thinking to see what might help, but just by putting it out there doesn't mean that it's the right thing. Right. Um, so you've got two very different types of individuals uh, you've got th that you just brought up. You've got the, the metabolically deranged where the, mm -hmm. their, their metabolic function is very subpar, um, whether that's diabetics, um, you know, kid hypertensive patients, kidney function uh, or, or kidney patients with uh, low kidney function, uh, cardiac patients, like all these reasons why their metabolism is not necessarily uh, firing on all cylinders, so to speak. Um, and then you've got athletes who typically have pretty robust glucose metabolism, not perfect, but you know, not, not what you would call uh, clinically abnormal, so to speak. Deranged. Um, so deranged. There you go. Um, <laughs> for someone who does have, uh, you know, someone who's a brittle type 2 diabetic, they have a very hard time controlling the blood sugar. Blood sugar is always high. Insulin's high. There may be rationale for uh, like a keto diet, low-carb diet. Um, there's certainly rationale for tight glucose control uh, at any time. But, you know, if you're trying to... to fight off a disease or, or, or lower your susceptibility, that, that can be a conversation to have in that camp. For athletes who are continuing to train, um, I, I would actually think kind of the opposite. So we, we know from, and I'm not opposed to low-carb diets and training at certain times, certain purposes. Um, however, we know from, from numerous studies looking at immune system function in athletes when athletes train in a fasted state or when they underfuel uh, either for a given workout or chronically, that that's one of the primary risk factors for immune depression. Uh -huh. So if, if an athlete goes out and trains for, you know, maybe they go out and do like a three-hour bike ride, um, but they say, hey, I'm not going to be going hard. Um, I'm going to hold off on the on the carbohydrate intake and just try to do kind of a glycogen depletion ride. Um, they're going to have more subsequent immune suppression from that than they will if they properly refuel and keep their glycogen levels normal. So I think, and there's no, I mean, this isn't like nobody studied this in, in with respect to this particular coronavirus and all that. But to me, it seems reasonable to say, Hey, if, if we want your immune function as as high or as as normal as we can get it, like we don't want 
and we'll, I'll talk about that in a second, the idea of having an overly functioning immune system. But if we kind of want you at your best, at the, the peak of the curve, then yeah, now's not the time for, for fasted mm -hmm. rides. Um, now's not the time for uh, being glycogen depleted for long periods of time. Uh, so that's, that's been my advice to patients is, you know, th there may be a time for it otherwise, but not, not right now. Gotcha. I, I mean, I think that's very interesting and sage advice. Um, uh, as you look at supplements out there and, you know, uh, talking to uh, my friends at the feed, they've seen a real uptick in the sales of supplements in the last weeks. Um, people looking clearly, the data would suggest to uh, fortify their immune system. Um, what do we know? What do we know out there that works? What could plausibly help? Um, and what might just be expensive urine? Uh, I know that there's a lot of supplements out there, right. but if you, what are you recommending? Yeah, so I think it's important, and this is kind of what I was alluding to a second ago. More is not better, um, and, and you know, more is potentially worse when it comes to um, supplements, immune function, all those things. Um, and, and the reason I put it that way is one of the things we see with. Uh, when there are viral illnesses, viral outbreaks, is that often the virus is not what harms a patient or even kills them. It's the immune system's response to that virus. And so the goal is not a hyper-functioning immune system. The goal is a properly functioning immune system for purposes of prevention and then um, kind of you know fighting an illness if and when you have it. So with that in mind, my thought is really to pay attention to the basics. So the basics being a unprocessed, varied diet full of you know fruits, vegetables, proteins, healthy fats, all those things that we always tell athletes and patients to do. That's got to be the foundation of what you do in a period like this too. However, there's probably room for... Um, uh, room for supplements in that, especially with athletes uh, who mm -hmm. tend to have a higher utilization of nutrients. Um, the basics that I will tell people is, you know, a multivitamin for lots of folks can be worthwhile. Uh, and and I have, I'd say a large portion of my patients taking a multivitamin. Of course, you know, I have the luxury of doing blood tests on patients and seeing where they're deficient in something, where they're insufficient, where they have plenty. And so, you know, we go in with a little bit of background there. Um, but across the board, you know, there is potentially role for a multivitamin, especially if your diet isn't great in times like this. Although I don't think that's an excuse or a, a, a reason to get you off the hook for not having a good diet. Uh, but when we start to look at the individual components of a multivitamin or a supplement regimen, um, Vitamin D has shown promise in uh, preventing um, upper respiratory infections, influenza, things like that um, in, in the past in studies. But it's not that more vitamin D does better. It's just making sure that you have an adequate vitamin D level. So in that scenario, uh, if we look and see that, yeah, most, most athletes and, and most Americans in general tend to be a little bit on the low side. There's probably rationale that supplement, uh, supplementing with vitamin D could be useful in a time like this. 
um, is definitely one that in my athletes where we have tested levels and we know that they are low, one that I'm telling them, you know, please be uh, compliant. Remember to take your vitamin D um, because there's, there's a possibility of it being helpful. I, I want to be really clear. There is no supplement or diet or, um, you know, anything along those, those lines that can prevent or treat this virus or any other, you know, in isolation. It's all, it's all where there may be some, uh, some appreciable benefit, um, you know, marginal gains, if you will, mm-hmm. um, right. w- which are real, but, but still don't lean on these things, right? Uh, do, do the foundational basic things. Um, but vitamin D is one. Vitamin C, potentially, um, you know, there's lots of studies looking at vitamin C with respect to prevention of colds and flu. Um, and the data is not a slam dunk. You know, in some studies, it shows to be beneficial and some it's not. That's probably because of the wide variation in the way the studies are conducted. Um, the people in the studies, the vitamin C used, the dosing regimen, how long the study was, all sorts of stuff. But there's reason to think that it could be helpful. I don't think more is better when it comes to vitamin C. Um, I don't think more is necessarily dangerous, but uh, taking taking reasonable doses or just getting it from your your food sources um, is a is a pretty reasonable strategy in a time like this. Um, Athletes, as a side note, athletes are becoming more and more aware of the fact that antioxidants like vitamin C and vitamin E have the potential to blunt the training effect. So when someone goes out and trains and then takes a big dose of vitamin C, some studies have shown that they actually don't adapt as well to that training. They don't get the same benefit that they would have if they didn't take the vitamin C. Um, is it, is, is timing so it's a bit of a balance. If you took it ahead of the workout, would that have a different impact? I, I mean, uh, timing's an issue. Pro- probably not taking it right before the workout. Um, that the, what's going on here is that the workout itself produces uh, or causes your body to produce free radicals, mm-hmm. um, and those we used to think of as being just terrible things that we had to you know, stamp out as quickly as we could with antioxidants. But now we recognize that they actually serve a purpose of, uh, uh, they work as a signaling molecule in the body. So they signal the body that it just went through something stressful and it needs to adapt to be able to handle that stress better next time. Uh Um, now that said, we don't want the free radicals hanging around just, you know, days on end and always being inflamed. So perhaps there's a role for taking something like vitamin C, you know, six or eight hours after a workout. Um, or, you know, six or eight hours before, but not doing it right up next to your workout. But again, you've got to weigh the importance of your workout, your training, and your adaptation versus the potential that it might keep you healthy. Uh, there's not slam duck evidence that's going to keep you healthy. So for me, I think appropriate, you know, taking it, but appropriately spacing it out from your workout seems to make sense. Mm-hmm. Is, is there, as you go through this, and, and what strikes me too about the supplement vitamin D is that a lot of us probably aren't getting the same amount of sunshine that we were getting. Is that relevant in, in using that as a, as a supplement? Yes. Um, you know, if we're all quarantined inside, then our, our vitamin D um, production internally in our bodies is going to be a good bit lower. So 
Um, another reason why it probably stands to reason that taking the the taking standard doses, like not not super dosing ten thousand or fifty thousand units of vitamin C, but just taking a standard dose during this time is probably a, a reasonable thing to do. And is uh, are all vitamin D's the same? You know, I, I get uh, you know a lot of folks saying you know if, if it's farmer grade, you know, there's a real difference between farmer grade and whatever I just, I, you know, I pull off the, the shelf at, at the 7-Eleven. Yeah. The, I mean, the truth is we don't know because there's very little regulation over the industry. So probably they're not all the same. I prefer to recommend, um, when, I'm, when I am recommending supplements, I prefer to recommend supplements that are routinely batch tested, um, both for the presence of any banned substances, which is obviously a big deal with the athletes I work, um, but also those that are tested for uh, you know, purity and um, that, that they have in them what the label says they do in terms of not just the products, but the dosing on it. Um, so, you know, one of the ones that, that I tend to really stick to is Thorn Research, which is car carried by the feed. Um, mm -hmm. And it's also one that uh, many of the U.S. Olympic programs use for the same reason. It's just, it's, it's high quality, but it's, you know, lots of supplements say they're high quality. It's another step to go beyond that and, and have tested evidence to show that it is. So okay. I do think it does matter what you take. Um, and with respect to vitamin D, one of the concerns that a lot of people will often voice with supplemental vitamins, vitamin D is there's a theoretical risk of um, arterial calcification with higher levels of vitamin D. Um, what I say to that is two things. One, if you're keeping an eye on your levels through blood work and, and making sure that you're not over supplementing, then you should avoid that to some degree. And two, if you take a vitamin D that has vitamin K in it as well, or you have another uh, source of supplemental vitamin K, um, you again theoretically can either either lower or get rid of that that theoretical risk of calcification. So um, it's all about not overdoing it. And when you when you when you do take something, make sure that you kind of know what you're getting and that you're taking it a global view of it all. Gotcha. The uh, right. It's. Uh... I understand that so much of this is theoretical right now, and we know so much. We just we don't even know what we don't know. With that said, I, I want to see if I can get you to weigh in on what you think is going to happen with some of these summer events. And I just did a little research before our conversation, and it, it occurs to me that we had swine flu, uh, H1N1. On the eve of the 2010 Vancouver Olympics, we had Zika, um, probably somewhere near its peak during the Rio Games. The, the games went on, um, and they are different. Uh, you know, they have different infection rates and certainly uh, different death rates uh, of note. But... Um, you, I know you've got some history having been involved with those prior to the Olympics. What do you think is, uh, do we learn anything that we can maybe cast some light on these upcoming events? You know, I think, I think it's an interesting historical comparison. Um, 
when we look at these things, but none of those even approaches the scale uh, to which we expect this outbreak to, to impact our population as a world. And so I think there's, you know, when we look at Zika, it, obviously a, a, an illness we don't want anyone to have to, to go through and, and mostly dangerous for pregnant women. Um, and the numbers were so much lower than what we're dealing with now. So it was interesting, though, to see, uh, you know, I got a lot of phone calls during that time from athletes across numerous sports who either their, uh, you know, either they or their partner was pregnant or, you know, there weren't any pregnant athletes that I knew of going, but some that were considering, hey, you know, after the Olympics, I, I may want to start a family. Um, and so it became a real question of risk in that case. And, and there were athletes who did pull out, as you know, and decided not to go race. Um, but I think even looking at, at that or the swine flu, the numbers are just so drastically different that um, I, I don't know that there's a, a lot that we can learn specifically from those. I mean, Zika was not going to get the entire Olympic village sick. Like even if you were infected, most people were asymptomatic. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when you look at swine flu, um, typically if you, if you had H1N1, like there wasn't as long of a lag time before you developed symptoms. And so it wasn't, you know, with regard to the athletes in particular, um, it, it wasn't quite as big a risk because people who got sick were, were pretty quickly sick and ended up either in the hospital or quarantined at home or, or whatever. It was a, a terrible illness. And, and as I mentioned to you, I was working in New York City in the emergency room at the time when that happened. And it was, it was all hands on deck and it took a lot of resources, but it, it was just a different illness because of some of the transmissibility properties and the timing and all that. So with this one, um, I think there's a lot more unknown and a much greater potential public health risk. And so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out come July. Um, we've still got time, you know, from a, from a strictly health standpoint, we've got time to kind of evaluate how it, how it un, un, unravels and, and what we see come, you know, May and June, but, um, economically and with regard to athlete training and all sorts of other stuff, it, it'll be interesting to see how long they can put off the decision. I mean, they're making a decision now to continue, but really it's just kind of, we're keeping an eye on things. So, um, right. it'll be interesting yeah. to see. Yeah. Monday it's, we continue and you know, Tuesday it's everything is, is they shut the spigot off. So yes, things are very dynamic as of this, yeah. uh, as of our discussion right now, Olympics still on schedule. There's been, uh, I just read actually that the vice president of the Japanese Olympic Committee has contracted coronavirus. Um, so oh, really? uh, making, all, uh, making it all very real, but, uh, you know, there's talk of postponement within the year. There's, uh, anyway, things are, things are up in the air. Um, it, I will, uh, you have yeah. been very, um, You've been very generous with your time, and I should probably let you go. I want to. I want to leave it with this. Um, with this, you are 
now you're in quarantine with a how are you planning to to stay fit what's going to be your protocol maybe we can use that as a template for the rest of us because i know you got your full-time job as well and maybe you're under uh greater strain than ever before because everyone wants to know what to do from you sure so um i i will say first and foremost b before i even answer that th this is an important point to make and it's not just the standard disclaimer like there's this is for real <laughs> um this is not medical advice. The the stuff that I'm saying on here or that I'm about to tell you is my protocol um, mm -hmm. because it, it really only suits me. Um, whether it's supplements or uh, even other strategies, you know, diet or, or keto diets like you were talking about, those things interact with a person's health, their medications they're on, they're very specific to the individual. And so, you know, listening to... Um, a podcast like this or others or reading something in a magazine, uh, it can be, it can be dangerous, quite frankly, to just implement uh, uh, advice that you find in those places without talking to your uh, doctor or practitioner um, because it may have unintended consequences with how it interacts with what you already take or do on a daily basis. So with that caveat, um, I'll tell you what I'm doing is really trying to focus on the basics, the you know distancing, hygiene, uh, not going to the gym, not touching things that uh, you know could open me or my family up to infection. Um, I uh, I'm, I'm fortunate that you know we we can still get Whole Foods delivery and things like that, so that the you can still get a good source of of food. And and my wife's an amazing cook. So we'll continue to eat a, a, a diet that is unprocessed and homemade and, you know, all those things that really we should be doing on a daily basis. Um, sleeping, you know, there's been a lot of stress over the last couple of weeks, but I'm trying really hard to make sure that I get adequate sleep. Um, seven, eight hours. I monitor it with a, a, a device that tells me, you know, how much deep sleep and REM sleep and all that stuff I'm getting. So it keeps me honest. Um, just keep an eye on that. I'll, I'll stay active. Uh, I'll continue to exercise. Um, you know, I've got a little home gym. I've got, uh, I've got my bike. I've got Zwift. Um, I'm still comfortable going out for runs and, and, you know, solo rides like we were talking about. So getting outside, I think is important as long as we're still allowed to do that and we do it individually. Um, and then from a, from a supplement standpoint, the things that I take, are I take a multivitamin. I take Thorne's uh, multivitamin elite. Um, I actually take a partial dose because I've looked at my own blood work and I know how much I need. So uh, where it would say take, uh, they recommend three capsules in the morning and three at night. I know I can get by with less than that. So I take less. Um, I take some vitamin D, but again, more is not better. So I take what I know I need based on my uh, based on my blood work. Um, I'm staying really well hydrated because the, the mucous membranes of the body are kind of the first defense against viruses. And so if, if you start to get you know, dehydrated and this, the, the membranes in your nose and mouth are either dry or they start to crack, you become more susceptible. Mm -hmm. um, what else? I, I've used a saline nasal spray for that reason. Um, I typically carry one when I travel anyway. Um, but you know, using some 
some saline to just keep things moistened. Mm-hmm. Um, the zinc lozenges. Uh, so that's something that's been shown topical zinc. Uh, so uh, being able to get zinc on the membranes in your mouth and the back of your throat can be a little bit protective for some viruses. We don't know if it works with uh, this novel coronavirus, coronavirus but it's um, something to try. You can overdose on zinc. So you have to be very careful about following the, the appropriate instructions for it. Um, and then I'm trying to think if I'm leaving anything out there. Um, it's a pretty robust list right there. No, I have, I have used some, uh, some, some of the propolis. The, uh, it's a, a spray for the back of the throat that similarly has been shown to um, just decrease the chance that you uh, may uh, catch a given virus or cold. Again, not shown to be effective necessarily against coronavirus, um, but used kind of normally, not overdoing it, not gargling with the stuff, but just like, you know, uh, like I said, more is not better, but taking mm-hmm. some basic steps to make sure you're kind of, your body's up to snuff. I think that's that's the best thing to do. So those last two you're saying, essentially, that they, they kind of create a physical barrier, zinc and propolis, uh, in theory. Uh, to the virus in theory i mean it's not like they really hang around and become a barrier but um they can they can uh, on contact may uh, inactivate a virus um you know zinc levels in the body need to be appropriate as well so it may contribute to that uh, um, and that can be supportive of the immune system uh, you'll hear people talk about elderberry which can be uh has been shown to be beneficial in, in kind of fighting off flus and other viruses. Um, so there's a lot of things out there. I, I would say that none of them are you know, going to be the, the be-all, end-all, like the solution. But if you find a few that kind of fit your, um, your individual scenario, so you know, some people may not want to be on vitamin D based on you know, medications they're taking or whatever else or their levels are perfectly fine and they don't have any reason to take more. But for me, I know that mine tend to stay a little low if I don't supplement. And so I take, I take that. There's other things out there, but I know that's one that is going to be kind of targeted to me. So, yeah, I think, I think finding those things that are specific to you, um, that aren't overwhelming, you don't need 40 things to be taking and you really need to focus on the basics mm-hmm. with the supplemental just being that, that you know, marginal gain. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway, that, that's, yeah, that is, that's a useful list for people out there to look into their needs, uh, and see what works. Um, and with that, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to get on my Zwift. It's nice that some companies, uh, are actually seeing an uptick in business. They're up 20%. I'm told same with Peloton. Um, so success stories nice. are out there. And Amazon and Whole Foods too. I think they're they're through the roof. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there's there's some people. We have to applaud the fact that, you know, we uh there are some success stories out there. Um but thank you so much for your time. And yeah. I and I do hope that you and I are speaking again, um, if not before then, face to face during the Tour de France. Absolutely. I look forward to it. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. It was good talking to you.